0: Garoppolo comes up in the victory formation. He takes the snap. He drops down to a knee, and this game is over.
1: You know, 49ers felt like they were the better team today. You know, we didn't do enough offensively. You know, to give ourselves a, a chance to win the game. You know, it hurts right now. You know, Coach, I just you know proud of the, the way the team fought this year, but. Um, know right now it's it's just so so raw that we're just kind of focused on this game and um, you know just falling short
2: Hey everybody, welcome to episode 24 of the Minnesota Vikings podcast. I am Cy Amundsen. I am in studio with Chris Corso from TheVikings.com. To the left of him, Jay Nelson, and unfortunately, it is over. Tough loss to the San Francisco 49ers on Saturday, 27-10, to 10, in a game that seemed to almost, it was almost machine-like.
0: It was very methodical.
2: Yes, it it was very, very methodical in the way that it started out, you know, you go three and out to start the game, and and you're pretty worried. They come down and score right away. You're really worried. Then you get that touchdown to Diggs, and you go, okay, here we go. And then from that point, you know, credit the Niners coaching, their execution, the Vikings coming off a short week, and credit whatever you want. But it seemed like everything that the 49ers – wanted to do going into the game took place and it was hard for us to recover as that snowball started rolling.
1: Yeah the way coach Zimmer put it he said it's funny how you said that because he said it's like we ran into a buzzsaw so that that is pretty uh that describes the way you open the show um it's tough to really come up with excuses in this one because the 49ers ran for one hundred. I don't make eight.
2: excuses, Chris. It's tough. I make improvements.
1: They ran for 186 yards on the ground, and they run a very similar outside zone rushing scheme that, that we run here with uh, the Kubiaks and the Shanahan connection, and they just did it way thousand times better than we did because we ran for 21 yards when we were averaging 133 yards per game this season. It was the exact game plan that we run running-wise. They just executed it all over our defense. I I haven't seen that since the (laughs) Seattle game. Like, our running defense, the way they struggled, I haven't seen it in a long time, and it happened in one of the biggest games, the g- biggest game of the year.
2: Well, a couple things. The 49ers are, and I said this last week, which is why if you knock them off, you're in a great position. It's my belief that the 49ers, when healthy, are the best team in football. And I, I think anyone who didn't understand how important D. Ford was sure understands. Now, now, Quan Alexander came back and also had a good game, but D D. Ford changes... The mentality and the approach and the ability of their entire defense. It's He's game record. He is absolutely incredible. And so, what we said going into that game was, in order for a team on short rest playing a better team in their home, uh, down a couple players, we had some some injury issues. In order to get a game like that, you have to, you know, you have to make a couple things go your way early, so the other team can't control the flow, and do exactly what they want to do. When they had that drive where they ran the ball right down our throats, what was it, eight consecutive plays, something like that? Yep. They were in a. We, we talked about this a little bit off air. They were in a position where they were at that point, 14-7, with the ball. They were playing the game that they wanted to play. They'd already controlled the clock. They already had a lead. They knew they were getting the ball after the half. They really had nothing to do or nothing to risk with approaching the game exactly the way they wanted. Because you saw in early drives, you know, when they still had to keep us off balance, Jimmy had to drop back, they had to make some plays. Our defensive line was able to get home. There was an element of how we were going to be able to compete, but when they got into the rhythm of doing things the way they wanted to do things, it was just impossible to, unfortunately, bounce back.
1: Yeah, when we settled for a field goal after that Ke- Kendricks interception, it was just when they were in the red zone, what were they like? Three for
0: five. Three for five in the red zone. Three yeah. for five in the red zone. Yep. We we
1: didn't we didn't score touchdowns in the red zone, and then we started making mistakes. And when the Sheryls fumble happened on the punt, that was the last bullet that we had left. That was it because at that point they just ran the clock out. The entire all, they wouldn't let Jimmy make another mistake because they just ran the ball every time for the rest of the game, and there we there wasn't enough time left to come back.
0: The feeling that I had at halftime there at the game was basically if you could keep it close the way you were going to have a chance to win was keep it close minimize your mistakes and try to steal one at the end with like a last second score that was kind of where we were at at the point you're going this doesn't feel like it's as close as the score indicates yeah but if we can somehow keep it close and do that we have a shot and that absolutely didn't happen to the point at the end of the game where you're they were letting us dink and dunk down the field and i to me, this game plan that the Niners ran to perfection was exactly the kind of game that Zimmer likes to run. Yes. It's run the ball, run the clock, kill them on third downs and you know convert lead, your first downs, get, get a lead, quarterback. and then just bleed the clock and let them dink and dunk across the, the back end of the field. And that was the most helpless feeling standing there watching this saying, they're doing to us exactly the MO of what we want to do to everybody else and and there's there's not a dang thing we could do about it
2: well and and to your point and that was how i believed you could steal this game is i i thought and i think chris you said this on last week's show jimmy gives you a couple chances he'll he'll throw you the ball once or twice you know and i thought you were going to get a couple of those and there was going to be opportunities in this game early just like the saints game when you came down and you were able to take that 13-10 lead at half and then they missed a field goal, that was the moment that game was was a competitive game for us and our game to win or lose. Yep. And in this game, you had a couple of those moments. You After you uh, go down and get the digs, answer, touchdown, yep. we're still at this point where they have to play balance and they have to make something happen, and we get to stop. And then you punt it, we're deep in our own territory, first play, sack, second play, handoff into the pile, nothing, handoff into the pile, nothing. And that was one of those moments if you could have put a drive together there and you go down and you go up, even three, but if you go up seven there and it's 14-7, this is a completely different game. Same thing to what you just said. When he throws that pick and Kendricks makes that awesome play, if you go down and you score seven there and it's 14 you're right back where you were at seven seven, where they have to play honest and they can't come down and pound it down your throat. So to me, to me, it like you said, it was so interesting to feel so utterly dominated, but while well at the same time, yep. like the, you let one slip away. And I, I know I misspoke earlier in the podcast. I think I said it was fourteen seven when they had that drive where they ran it down just like straight down our throats. And I know it wasn't that. It was. It was in the second half. But that was the moment where everything, where where that hope evaporated and they, f- the, the execution that they brought to the table fully took over. And I know the Cheryl's fumble was tough, but it was that drive where they just ran motion, 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 motion to get our defense lined up exactly the way they wanted and ran right into the gap that they wanted just over and over and over and over and over until it was a touchdown. That was the convergence of like – the hope that we had, and the dominance that the Niners were bringing.
1: Yeah, it was insane. It was almost like they were setting up our defense for failure with all of that motion that they were doing before the play. And I think their main objective on the motion with moving the running back out of the play into the slot, I think the main objective most of the time was moving Eric Kendricks out of the play. Yeah. They just kept moving him out of the play. And whether it was Kendricks or Barr, they found a way to move those guys to The other side of the field to follow the running back, and then they would run to the other side on a HB stretch or whatever you want to call it outside the tackles. I have the stat here they gained 110 yards and a rushing touchdown on 26 carries on runs that were outside the tackles. So it was that it was the play that they were lining up, and it was moving Kendrickson Barr out of the play and then running the opposite way outside the tackle to the right or the left. For 110 yards, it was actually 55 to the left, 55 to the right. Exactly even on well, yards, and which I'll
2: is be, insane. I'll be curious, too, and, and I said this going into this show, I think on last week's podcast and last week's final prep, this is a very different beast than the Saints. Kyle Shanahan approaches the game differently than anybody else. He wants to get you off balance, and he wants to attack your flaw over and over and over in a different way than anybody else. And I, I, I might be a little off on the numbers, but I'm pretty close. I think the league average for motion on a play is like 41 or 43 percent of the time a team motions on offense before snapping the ball 78 percent and and what I'm really curious is because I I think they're going to win the Super Bowl I well I think the Chiefs are very good I I think it'll likely be Chiefs Niners and I I just am not going to bet against a healthy a healthy Niners team but if if they get the ultimate success, if they win a championship, I will be really, really, really curious to see, you know, because there are these things that happen in the NFL that change the NFL. I mean, there are guys that come in and try to change the NFL, the Chip Kellys of the world, yeah. who they maybe have a good season and then everybody catches up to them, you know. Wildcat and, kind and, of and, stuff. Yep, and then Wildcat is a great example. And then there's some players and coaches who come in and forever change the league. We had one of them here, Randy Moss forever changed the way and not that deep passes didn't exist but do you ever think about before Randy Moss how they're like you would see a bomb or two a game that was like a pretty special situation then once Randy Moss came in every team's like what if we threw it deep seven times a game we need tall fast wide receivers we need tall cornerbacks I'm super curious to see what the future is this Shanahan thing like is this the real? Is this the way the NFL is going to go? Is this going to become an exploit via motion? And it might take a special sort of guy to do it, but I you got to be highly impressed with how Kyle did what he did.
0: Sure, and at, we talked about it last week too. We brought it up, saying that the writing was on the wall that this was potentially the game plan of what they were going to do against us. You know, we struggled against Seattle, and we struggled a couple other times this season with runs up the gut, but the outside stretch plays were the things that the Niners' writers were talking about specifically because that was what they did against the Ravens earlier this they year. they competed with them, yeah. Yeah, and so their whole point was to try to get outside and let their quick, speedy playmakers make our secondary linebackers uncomfortable, and that's exactly what they did in this game.
2: Kirk wasn't able to get comfortable all day. Delvin wasn't able to get going. Tough day for the offensive line. Tough day for the playmaker. It, it, outside of that Diggs touchdown, you know, it's offensively it's hard to find a lot of positives in a game like that where you score so little and you have so so few first downs. You know, if I could put one little piece of positivity on it, even in a game where you were down – multiple defensive backs and in a tough situation against an offensive genius you gave the ball up once close to the goal line and once in your territory with turnovers even with all that happening this defense still only surrendered 27 points yeah and 27 are a lot of points but I you know I, I think, the the defensive side of the ball you still to to have them be on the field as long as they were, as tired as they were, doing as much as they were, you know, you still have to give credit to, to their fight. It just it just wasn't meant to be.
1: I give props to a guy like Everson Griffin who was running on every single play giving it his all, but yep. um going back to the offensive side of the ball, I think like we we've already said, but Dalvin Cook, eighteen yards on nine rushes, and we all know the offense runs through the best running back in the league that we all believe but this stat from next-gen stats really caught my eye, because you can talk about the short rest, being on a, a Saturday game after playing on Sunday, going on the road, being tired, the other team having the bye week. But Dalvin Cook was timed at 21 miles per hour on his fastest run, a touchdown against New Orleans. He was timed at 18.1 miles per hour on his fastest run against the 49ers I know that's just a, a crazy stat to throw out there but that says a lot about like the miles per hour difference in his runs it d- it didn't look like he had the explos. it looked like he might have been a little tired not to not to put anything on him but um the explosiveness
2: just didn't happen well it's hard to get up to a top speed when you're stopped at the beginning you know there, there wasn't a lot of opportunity to get up to top speed for him It's interesting because in professional sports, the only thing that matters is a title, you know, and and you can be proud of things and you can be happy with things and you can have some positive memories. But this game is about winning titles. So to 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 be one of the final eight, you don't get those opportunities a lot. And to come up short is a huge bummer. It was still a great win against the Saints. There were still some good things that happened this season. And I I think it'll, you know, I think this season, I think if you're a Viking fan and you want to have some hope and you want to have some positivity walking away from it, I don't think it's super confusing how the team can and, can and needs to improve. You know, I think sometimes, you know, you lose some games and you're not exactly sure what and how and you have to take, you know, you kind of have to gamble in free agency a little bit. It's pretty cut and clear some things that, that need, uh, need to happen and that's not our job to sit in here and speculate on those, but it'll definitely be an interesting offseason. There are a lot of... Free agents, Jay, like you and I have talked about. I mean, uh, just in the defensive secondary, yep. the guys that are unrestricted free agents are Trey Waynes, Anthony Harris, Anthony Harris Mackenzie Alexander, right? Yeah, Jaron Curse, yep. Anderson Dale. There's uh, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of guys that are going to be on that list, and and the team will look different next year. So buckle up and be prepared for a new look. But for me, when you're ten and six and you lose in the playoffs. A new look isn't bad, you know. You got to look at look at the 49ers. Look at some of these teams that are succeeding. The great thing about the NFL is if you make a couple of smart moves, it takes like one free agent and one or two draft picks showing up and be like. I'm pretty good. And then you have a guy from the year previous really step up and step forward, and you have candidates there. You have a you have guys like Afadi who you could see really taking a step up next year. I'm a big Mike Hughes guy. I know some people have been tough on Mike Hughes, but I've always said the ACL, we we're talking about this off air, the ACL injury is a two-year injury. You're injured for a year, and then you have to try to come back and play for a year. And then it's in that after two years, you're kind of like, oh, I'm a guy again. So you got a guy like Garrett Bradbury who's gonna be older. You got a guy like Brian O'Neill and even elf line who's going to be older. So the makings are there. That's the great thing about the NFL. You do one or two things correctly, and a couple guys step up to the plate, and you go, oh, boy, all of a sudden we're a dominant team. So you can walk into this offseason knowing it's going to look different, but also have hope that different isn't bad. Different can be very, very good.
1: Well, I really like what uh, Coach Zimmer said in his press conference that he's going to get away for one week, two weeks. He let all the coaches off for two weeks coming up here because he wanted to remove the emotion from the last game of the season from evaluating a full season. And I think there's a lot to be said for that because speaking to some of the coaches, they said in past years coming off that last loss, they evaluate the season right after that. And their judgment is clouded from the emotion and terrible loss that they just went through. So for them to step away for a couple weeks, refresh their minds, come back, there's going to be a few coaches, obviously we're going to touch on that, that aren't returning, but they're going to remove that emotion. Coach Zimmer says he wants to remove the emotion of the connections he has to some of the players who have been here a long time, veterans on on the roster. We won't get into names, but um, for them to take a step back, I think it's going to be a good thing because they're going to come back refreshed and then they're going to look through every single game and they're going to have a lot of decisions to make, as you said. I mean, it's it's crazy the amount of guys that are their contracts are up. So
0: For me, the, the positivity that I can find in this piece is knowing that the last couple seasons we've definitely had young guys that have, have jumped into bigger roles. And this year I think you started to see that with some of our draft picks. With Irv Smith Jr., you know, when he got his chances – he, he definitely made some plays that had an impact on this offense. You start to see guys like B.C. Johnson. We already talked, touched on Afadi. And, I mean, Daniil Hunter, yes, it's not his first couple years, but, man, he is becoming a game changer and a game wrecker for this defense. To me, it feels like you're having a bunch of these younger guys that are stepping up into bigger roles. And because of things like free agency, you are going to lose some different people who have been staples on this team. But as long as you've been drafting and bringing in free agents and getting some depth that way, it won't be as painful as it is is if you've only got one or two lines maybe and all of a sudden battle of attrition, guys get hurt or guys leave through free agency and then you're left with a bare cupboard. It feels like this team does have some reserves that are stepping up and making some plays this year, and hopefully that that can continue into the future. Yeah, those guys can become
2: more than just reserves who make plays. Absolutely. And uh, speaking of coaches, a couple coaching changes. Uh, Coach Edwards' contract uh, expired, and it sounds like a mutual parting between he and Zimmer. Like Zimmer said, it's what's probably best for both. And then our boy Kevin Stefanski, uh, if you are living under a rock and have not yet heard, is officially the head coach of the Cleveland Browns at 37 years of age. Huge congratulations to Kevin. And I, I think, A, I think the offensive coordinator position for this team is a tough one. Because anytime you're coming into a coordinator, and I, I believe this has nothing to do with this team, when you have a dominant side of the football, like we've had a dominant defense forever, regardless of how supportive we all are, there's always a feeling that you need the offense to step up and match it. That's just human nature. And then the fact that we've gone through a lot of offensive coordinators here recently. So to have Kevin step in after DiFilippo was let go, have him succeed, have him have his job last year, and then increase from last year to the, like, just to have everything Continue to grow for him. And like you've said numerous times, Kirk, regardless of the nonstop. Social media chatter about whether or not you like Kirk and think Kirk's a good quarterback. You cannot deny the fact that he was better, more comfortable, more efficient, and and more proficient. He was good this year, and, and that has a lot to do with Kevin Stefanski. And I I think even if you're somebody out there who and I thoroughly disagree with this, but even if you're the people who like did not care for Stefanski as O coordinator, I can tell you, regardless of that feeling, I think he's going to be a a fantastic head coach because of the way he came up here. I mean, he's been here for 14 years, and he's done every job. It's one of those things, like, when you've worked every job at the grocery store, you're probably going to be a pretty good manager of the grocery store. So I'm I'm super curious to see in that weird environment with that, you know, sometimes difficult ownership and the odd collection of superstars and a quarterback who people have opinions about, that's going to be a, a hell of a task. But if there's any guy who can handle it and who understands how to manage a great deal of things, I think Kevin Stefanski is that guy.
1: Yeah, I think the big stat for him this year, Kirk Cousins, who obviously everyone has their opinion on the way he manages a game, he set an NFL record this year with five games with a completion percentage of 80% or yeah, higher. That's crazy. That, is Kev- that, that stat, should, Kevin Stefanski's name should be next to it because he's the one calling the plays, setting up Kirk for that for That stat to even be there. So, I, I Kevin, know he knows I'm, I'm about as big of a fan of him as there is. I mean, when I started here in 2015, he was like the tight ends coach. And I mean, he's coached every position of the offense and just gotten to, you don't, it, there's no coaches in the NFL who stay with an organization for 14 years. It just doesn't happen.
0: The biggest feather in his cap, I think, is the fact that he had lasted as through as many regimes as he had. It's insane. Which, yeah. Between Childress and Frazier and, and now with Zim, you know, I'll I'll even go further back in the Wayback Machine. I got here in 2007, and Kevin had already been here. He was here in 06 as Childress's personal assistant. And all I can tell you about Kevin is whenever you talk to him, whether it was kind of you know the sly a wink and a nod while you're talking about other stuff off the field or just the way he carried himself. He always felt very measured and just classy in how he handled everything. And I think that's the reason why he stuck around as everyone recognized and realized the kind of person that he was as far as intelligence-wise, but when it just came to football IQ and how to work with different groups, it shows. He went between tight ends, running backs. He was an offensive coordinator. He knew the ins and outs of football, but i think more than that he also knew how to handle different personalities and bodies you know breaking news there can be some prima donnas in pro sports yeah i think the fact of the groups that he handled and the successes that they had is something that everyone just pointed at and cleveland to their credit they wanted him last year and they ended up and waiting a year and they still got their guy yeah and for me I will never have a bad thing that I can say about Kevin Stefanski as a person. And what I'm hoping for him is that going and getting his opportunity at the age that he does in a city like Cleveland, who is just starved for success for football because they love football, let alone the state of Ohio. When you go to Canton. When I would go to Canton, for this is our
2: starting to sound like a Hallmark card <laughs> TED about talk about football. You're, you're welcome. You're welcome. As 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 Jay flips through the pages of his novel, that's called Stefanski and football. Can- and Canton. Canton. Oh my God. Here's
0: here's my last point. I will make. No, don't yes. let it end, Jay. Keep when I, it going. When I would go Keep to talking. when I go to Canton, and there's literal dog buses driving down the highway. Where it's a bus decked out with giant dog ears. Yeah, we've all seen Dumb and Dumber. Exactly right. It's almost basically the Mutt Cuts van driving down the road. They're starved in that town for football success. They've gone through how many head coaches, how many owners at this point, and GMs. If Kevin can go to a place like that and have success and have a town rally around him, he will be the king of Cleveland now that LeBron is gone. Yeah,
2: he'll be other LeBron.
0: Exactly. But he will he will be able to cement his legacy in a town like Cleveland who who just wants to have success and be able to cheer for a team like that. And for me, I hope that happens for him because he's such a good person. I like to see good people succeed.
2: Okay. And would you like to add anything else? <laughs> um, Do you have any PS? <laughs> I don't know. It smelled good? <laughs> no. been, I'm not quite oh, sure. God. Boo!
0: <laughs> You're welcome.
2: Let's close it down here with some regular season wrap-up statistics. Uh, it was a big year for Kirk Cousins. 3,603 passing yards, 26 touchdowns, only 6 interceptions. Like uh, Chris mentioned, he had the crazy run of completion percentages. Uh, his supporting cast had a big year. Dalvin Cook ended uh, even with missing a couple games. 1135 yards, 13 touchdowns, 53 receptions for 519 yards and it feels like Dalvin is just scratching the surface. That's the scary thing about Dalvin Cook. It feels like as this zone coverage scheme which it sounds like will stay in place continues to grow and the players continue to grow in their roles there that Dalvin is only going to get better and more dangerous. Uh Stefan Diggs, huge shout out to Stefan Diggs for 1130 yards and six touchdowns on a season when Adam Thielen wasn't there for You know, a number of games at all, and at least half the season on less than half strength and to have teams walk in and go, hey, we're just not going to let Stefan Diggs do anything, and he still walks out of the year with 1,130 yards and six touchdowns. I've said it before. I've said it again. I think everybody knows he's very good. I think he is so still underrated. Was he 26 years old? He is absolutely one of the best receivers in this year. Thielen a tough year with the injuries, but still managed to come through in big moments and big games for us. Rudy, you could argue, even though only 367 yards and six touchdowns. This was a career year for Rudy as a tight end, giving that all all he accomplished. And then you have a bright future for some young guys. Specifically, you know, it's very rare that rookie tight ends make a big splash. And so you kind of expected the year you got out of Irv where, you know, he made some moments, he did some things, but it's a learning process. And I think Viking fans buckle up because you need to be jacked about the future with Irv Smith. I think he's a special. Some people go, "Well, he's a little bit smaller than some of the other tight ends." Yeah, maybe that's a good thing, he's dude. He's
1: 21. <laughs> maybe
2: that's a good thing. Maybe let's 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 watch how he runs and catches the football. You know, my brother said, he goes, well, he's like, he goes, yeah, he's good. He's smaller than DK Metcalf. I go, well, it's good that DK Metcalf is a good, a big wide receiver. I think you're going to find out when you have a little bit smaller of a a speedster at tight end, that causes its own sort of problems. So my hopes for him are huge. Alexander Madison is a beast. B.C. Johnson got to step in and, and, and we'll see his progress. See even a guy like Laquan Treadwell, who everybody had cast out of the world, came in, made a couple of catches and blocked well. So I think some of the skill stuff on offense is, is very bright. We already talked about guys like uh, Afadi on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, we We're going to take a little break from the podcast, correct? We're going to yep. do some upgrades in our studio in the near future and we'll be back up and running as soon as all of that is done. We will be keeping you up to date on everything happening in the offseason. We will be keeping you up to date with Chris's emotional relationship with football and how it ebbs and flows throughout the offseason. <laughs> and uh, as much as it's it a was very a very emotional relationship, as much as it was a sucky end, it was fun to spend the year with you guys who take some time to listen to this show. And we we can't wait
0: uh, for next year to, to do it again. Combine's right around the corner. Uh, Super Bowl is coming up here really quick, but once the Combine kicks in, it's a brand new year, brand new hope, brand new season for the fans.
2: Jay's got the sort of beard that when he says Combine's right around the corner, it could mean a couple of things. <laughs> oh, you mean like – Field's uh, a
0: bit long. Combine's right
2: around the corner, folks.
1: You got anything last you want to say, Chris? I think that's about it. Tough end of to the season. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of changes – I look for us to be the uh, Seattle Seahawks as we not just regroup as a team, but we just reload and keep it going. Let's
2: reload. reload. (laughs) Chris is an unrestricted free agent, everybody. I'll see you later.